Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You might have heard by now the sad news that Sinead O'Connor has died. One of the most important voices in the last few decades. She was fiery and bold and passionate as a musician and as a public figure. And nothing about her was predictable. I mean, this is the person who ripped up a picture of the Pope on live TV in the 90s. And even though that moment created a massive scandal for her, she said that decision did not derail her career. It actually put her back on track. We'll revisit Sinead's conversation with Tom Power. It's a deep one. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant, but nothing, I said nothing can take away these blues, cause nothing compares, nothing compares. That is the unmistakable, unmatched voice of Sinead O'Connor, who's died at the age of 56. To remember her today, we wanted to revisit her conversation with Tom Power. They spoke around the time she released her memoir called Rememberings, and this conversation first aired in June of 2021. It touches on her own parents, on Prince, who she covered in the song you just heard, uh, on stardom, And protests, too, including the scandal that erupted after she ripped up a picture of the Pope on live TV to protest child abuse in the Catholic Church. I remember hearing the conversation that that you're about to hear when it first came out and was just struck by how how deep she was and how funny she's able to be about some really hard things, including mental health struggles. She is just fantastic in this conversation, as you'll hear. And I should say they spoke before Sinead lost her own son, Shane, to suicide. Here's Sinead O'Connor and Tom Power. Sinead, welcome to Q. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you. Yeah, um, you too. Wh- why, why was now the time to write this book? Well, it wasn't my choice. What, what happened was actually I wrote it like four years ago, or well, half of it anyway, but um, the publisher, David Rosenthal, contacted me in 2015. It was his idea because I, I used to do a tour blog on my website every night after gigs, I, I go and write some stupidity on my tour blog about the day, you yeah. know, and somebody alerted David Rosenthal to this tour blog and he contacted me then and asked me, would I write the book and also to write it in the form of blogs and, and mostly in the present tense, like like the tour blog, you know. What, what surprised you the most about writing a memoir? Um, hmm... I, I I don't know if I was surprised writing it, but I, I what's interesting to me is I, I didn't find one would imagine that writing a memoir would be somewhat emotionally triggering or something. Yeah. Or cathartic. Yeah. And it, it wasn't at all. 
I was afraid that if I read the audio book, it might be a little too, you know, risky emotionally speaking, because I didn't want to go back there maybe sometimes. But actually that wasn't at all. But what has surprised me is that promoting the book, talking about the past has been quite cathartic, you know? Cathartic, that's good, because you could have went for triggering there. Well, both, but that's true. I mean, I guess I would mean triggering the positive sense of the word. You know, it kind of did trigger uh, catharsis, <laughs> you know, which was uh, really uh, interesting, for want of a better word. But what was something in the book that you loved writing about? Because so, there is a lot of love and there's a lot of joy in this yeah. book. What's something you loved writing about? Uh, well, I loved writing about my kids, obviously. I loved writing about uh, my early years in London, with hanging out with Rastas and, you know, walking around London and getting my hair cut. Yeah, I think that a lot of the my my youth in London, I, I think I enjoyed probably that the most. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the... I, I, did, I did look for the SNL chapter a little bit. And I right, was, and I was, I was. Everybody will. That's probably the first one everybody will be looking for. Even. People will be skipping ahead to it. I guess I yeah. was. I was excited about it. And what I loved about the way you wrote it is you said, "I mean, we don't need to relive the entire moment." But you wrote, "After SNL, I could be me, do what I love, be imperfect." Could you mm. tell me about that? Well, I didn't feel I did. You know, people say that tearing up the picture somehow derailed my career and I feel the opposite that in fact having a number one record derailed my career um I was born for live performance and you know I I was influenced by protest singers and punk and all of that kind of stuff and I found the world of pop stardom quite imprisoning it's a bit like being the queen of England or the president of Ireland you can't actually express an opinion about anything you know um and I found, you know, being a pop star, you spent more time getting your picture taken than making music, you know. And um, after the whole Pope thing, it was great because I had to make my living performing live, which is what I'm born for. And that's what I'm trained in, in as a singer. So it meant I could make my living doing the thing I most enjoy. I don't enjoy getting my picture taken and no woman does. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't like having to think about clothes or think about how I looked or you know, pop stars too, in order to keep the, the fame and the good name and all this shit, you know, you have to not be controversial, not not cause any trouble, you know, write songs about, oh, baby, baby, you know, stick your tits out and get it a leotard. Yeah. You know, it wasn't really me. Yeah, it's like um, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what success is, you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. It's about how you interpret success. But see, the, the industry has a, has the youth convinced that success is fame. And how do you get famous? Well, you get on all fours on stage and put a load of dollars in your mouth, you know, that the, really the industry is very cleverly silenced and groomed a couple of generations now of songwriters and performers, you know. What, what happens, or I guess what does it feel like to be... In that, I mean, not that you were ever really a part of that world, but you were sort of in, you were in a certain kind of path that could lead to that sort of like, you know, mainstream success, you know? Yeah. And what's, what's it like when you step, when you step away from it? Well, no, it was great for me because as I say, like I'm born for live performance. I love performing live. That's what I do. And um, as I said, in the pop world, I spent more time getting my picture taken than I did performing live or making music, you know? 
And um, so, yeah, I, I felt more comfortable, like I could be myself and I could write challenging songs. I could write unusual songs. In the pop world, like I say, it's a bit like being the Queen of England. You're in a gilded cage. You know, you you have to look the part. You've got to please everybody. All your energy is taken, making everyone else's dreams come true instead of your own. And my only dream was, you know, to jump around on stage with a band and scream into a microphone. That was great. You know what I mean? And like, to me, I feel like there's only one reason a person should ever make a record. And that's because they're going to go mental if they don't. You know, if you start making records because you want to be famous or make money or have a good name or have people like you or whatever, you're screwed, you know. So I don't know. I just found there was no freedom in the pop world, freedom of speech. I find it amazing that you could like observe it while you were in it. You know what I mean? Like most of most of the time, these are things that you'd figure out years down the road. But it seems like while you were in it, you could you could observe that it was false. Yeah, well, even if I didn't consciously observe it, I certainly subconsciously did. I certainly felt like oil and water. I felt like I wasn't home. I did, but I think I was too young to really be terribly conscious of it. It's easy looking back now to to be conscious. You know, hindsight, hindsight, as they say, is always twenty twenty. You know, but at the time, I just subconsciously knew. You know, I don't feel comfortable in this bustier. You know, I don't. I don't feel comfortable. Uh, everybody's sticking microphones in front of my face and asking me questions and then beating the shit out of me for answering them, you know? What's it, what's it like going, because you, what's it like going to an anti-Sinead O'Connor protest? Because there's a part in the book where you, 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 you put a wig on, this is after you tear up the picture of the Pope, and you go to the no, protest. No, it was actually, no, it was actually after the um, national anthem thing, you know? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. How, yeah. what is that like? Um, well, well, it was fun. I mean, you know, uh, I was doing a gig in some city and they came into the dressing room, two people, and they said to me, look, sometimes we play the national anthem before shows. How do you feel about it? Would you mind if we did or would you rather we didn't? And I said, well, you know, I assumed I had a choice because that's how it was put to me. So I said, well, I'd rather not then, you know, because music and politics in those days didn't mix, you know. And uh, then while the gig was going, these people rang up every bloody newspaper in town and told them that I hate America, which nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, you know, <clears throat> very, very, I love America. I wish I was born there. And uh, then everyone's threatening to kick my ass and somebody tried to organise a massive protest outside the gig. But there was only about like three guys turned up, you know. And um, so we've, me and my friend, kind of my assistant, we've, we felt sorry for them. So we decided we'd get dressed up ourselves and go out to the protest. And we got our picture taken with them and everything. They thought we were great, you know. But then I got caught by some news team, some news, what do you call it, TV news crew had gone there hoping there was going to be a massive protest. Um, and there wasn't. And then, but the lady noticed that it was me in the wig. <laughs> So I had to sit there pretending I was American. I was going, no, nah, I'm from Saratoga. <laughs> I can't stand Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's, there's, a, there's a quote in the book I, I wanted you to ask you about. Um, and it's, it's something you write to your father. And you say that your life would have ended up the same even if you'd, and this is the quote, had St. Joseph and the Virgin Mary for parents and grown up in Little House on the Prairie. Why, why yeah. do you believe that? Um, well, how can I explain it? It's I suppose the rest of the letter goes on to explain it that that you know musicians and rockers were were a particular breed, as everyone knows, you know that we're all a bit bonkers, 
we're a bit out there, we're rule breakers. You know, we do everybody's crazy for them because if nobody, everybody else has to go to work every day, they can't afford to be crazy. So we do their crazy for them. And there's a kind of a, you know, I always say about artists, musical artists, you know, we're not criminal enough for jail or crazy enough for the nuthouse, but we can't do nine to five either. So that's why they made the music business, because otherwise, where the hell was Little Richard going to feel comfortable, you know? So I suppose I'm trying to reassure my father, who, of course, like any father would worry, you know, about his daughter in, in a certain job or whatever, you know, and, and also he would worry that maybe somehow my parents are to blame for my quirks, you know. So I'm just trying to reassure him, really, that, you know, I'd be a quirky bitch, whatever. I'm a rocker, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it takes a great sense of maybe um, peace to do that or, you know, like yeah. self-reflection to do that, you know. yeah. Well, you don't want your parents feeling shit either, feeling like they're to blame for stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, even in some cases they may be, but you certainly don't want them thinking they are because why would you want them suffering? I know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and you can get consumed by that guilt too, you know? Well, yeah. My parents can, of course. You know, if, you're, if there's nothing more painful for a father than to know that his, his children suffered or for a mother to know their children suffered, you know, so of course they'll feel guilty when they shouldn't. Etc. Etc. So in some ways, it's 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 a it's a uh, a kindness you do for your parents to reassure them that, that they needn't be feeling guilty that they have, they can be let off the hook. Everybody's doing their best at all times, you know. You know, it brings to mind. You know, I, I was thinking you've been candid and you've been open about any struggles you've had in your in your mental health and in and in your life. You know, you've you've talked um, a lot about them, and I think that's <clears> meant, that's meant to a lot to a lot of people. But on that, in terms of like your parents and 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 you, you, no one wants their parents to feel guilty, I wondered if you had anything to say to people who might have someone in their life who is struggling, and and maybe a bit of advice or just something to say to them about about what to do. Well, it depends. What are they struggling with? I mean, if they're struggling with trying to catch a slippy pig, I can't help with that. No, I don't mean a, the slippy pig question is after <laughs> this one. I meant, uh, you know, during the pandemic, you know, with the depression and anxiety that's really rampant in our society, exacerbated, yeah. I think, by the pandemic and by social media. Yeah, gosh. Well, I mean, I suppose asking me for advice is kind of like the blind leading the blind. That's like asking me for haircut advice. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I guess uh, I don't know. You know, I'm um, I'm a f- different fish. I I like being on my own. I've enjoyed actually being on my own and the lockdown and the whole thing. You know, uh, I don't mind being cooped up in the house. I'm a sort of, you know, I'm 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 an old fashioned kind of woman, I guess. But um, so I wouldn't really know. You know, in terms of if people are depressed, obviously the thing is to reach out to your friends and your family. If your friends and family aren't around, reach out to whoever there is. Certainly in Canada. And in America, there are incredible resources. There's there's something there for everyone, you know. Yeah, I think what I'm what I'm curious <laughs> about is almost the other side of it. Like I think when you yourself have someone in your life who is struggling, it can be scary. It can be sort of foreign. Yeah, there are times you don't believe it. Oh, so you're you're wondering what advice would I give to? a loved one who wants to support somebody who's yeah. suffering yeah, to make sure that they have their own support system is the best advice I could give. If you, if you are taking care of or companioning or looking after someone who's struggling, 
you need looking after as much as they do. So you have to make sure your own support system is in place. You also have to accept that you can't save somebody if they don't want to be saved. That's hard. You know, and that you don't, that loving someone doesn't mean that you have to carry their pain inside your body. You have to develop a certain ruthless compassion where you can love and be compassionate, but at the same time still go home and be content with your life, you know? Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. What did you learn about yourself in writing this book? I learned that I have been on the most fantastic adventure, you know, that like what a thing, what a set of things to happen to a little old girl from Glenageary. Do you know what I mean? To go around the world and meet all these people, do all these shows, have a great time, meet, you know, make great friends. And, you know, it's like any adventure. I'm always telling my kids when they get upset about something in life, I remind them of the, um, what do you call it? You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Well, the character that Harrison Ford plays, like there's always a boulder or a snake pit or something on every adventure you have to face your fears you know those are his particular fears but like an adventure isn't an adventure without a boulder at some point or a snake pit you know that way so um yeah just reading it back and looking back at it i realized jesus christ i had the most incredible adventure like you know are you still singing yeah i'll be going on tour now in april i've got an album coming out in january and then all, all the shows that were pulled last year because of this bastard covid um, they were scheduled for this year, but then they got pulled again, but they're now rescheduled for next year. So, What do you love about it so much? I mean, there, I mean there's one thing I took from the book and one thing I took <coughs> even from this interview when I was asking you about the whole SNL thing. You must have said a couple of times, Tom, you know, like, I'm just built for it. I'm born for live, yeah. live it. Like, yeah. What, 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 do you, what do you love about it? Give me something. Mm, funny enough, sometimes I say to people, you know, if you could describe music, you wouldn't need it. You know, so it's terribly hard to describe why music is so exciting. I think for somebody who has big emotions, you know, a person who feels everything real big, too big for the world, performance is brilliant because it, it, it fits on stage the size of your emotions. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Singers, we're terribly emotional. We feel everything, good or bad, we feel it 10,000 times bigger than everybody else. That works on stage, but it doesn't bloody work off stage, you know? So it's good to have an outlet. But the trouble is you're only working for two hours a day. Then you've got 22 hours, you're sitting around, you're missing your children and you're but it's quite destabilizing, discombobulating, you know? I think I was really encouraged by during this pandemic, I tuned into a couple of those live streams. <clears throat> God love them for doing it. You know, people needed to do it. Yeah. But I was heartened that it wasn't as good. Like that made me feel yeah. good, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Did so, you, uh, do you sing around the house? Um, no, I don't. 
No, yeah. really? Like not when you're cooking I, I dinner? Only when I'm about to record, like I have a little karaoke machine and a, and a mic and it's got echo and everything. And if I'm going to be doing the gigs or recording, I rehearse using this little karaoke machine. What do, and, what do you, like, what's, what's your song? What's your go-to song? Oh, my go-to song is Hey Jude. Hey Jude, why do you go for that? Uh, I just love it. It's beautiful. And I, it's always in the right key. Karaoke is deliberately set to make you sing either too high or too low so you sound shit but if you go for hey jude for some reason it's somewhere in the middle you know last time i was in nashville i went into this uh, karaoke bar my buddy brought me to it's called wannabes it's right down on on broadway right <laughs> so I, I go right. in and first off uh buddy gets up and does piano man but brings his own harmonica which I loved. Yeah. He, he brought his, you know, so he did, he did the karaoke oh, harmonica. I hear that song. I hate that song. Anyway. Listen, no one loves Piano Man, but it was cool to see. Yeah. It was cool to see Buddy with the harmonica. Yeah. And then I'm not messing yeah. around. Someone did Nothing Compares to You. Yeah, wicked. Wicked. But I hope they didn't do it as well as me. No. They, they, yeah. I hope you, I was, you know, it's a good thing you didn't walk in while they were doing it. No, but my go to is Hey Jude. And I do, if I say to myself, a mean version of Hey Jude. Such a beautiful song. Sinead, lovely to talk to you. Cool. All right, you too. Thank you. That's Sinead O'Connor, her conversation with Tom Power that first aired in June of 2021. It is so beautiful to hear it now. It's heartbreaking too. And if there's one thing that I'll take away from hearing that conversation again, it's that idea that she mentioned of ruthless compassion, which she certainly embodied. That's it for Q today. But there is another episode in your feed right now. It's my chat with a one of a kind performer called Mark Rabier, who says, you gotta make friends with the terror. And he knows what he's talking about. This is a man that walks out on stage in front of tens of thousands of people with a bunch of DJ equipment, no clue what he's going to say, and he's probably either wearing a bathrobe or his boxers. It's somewhere between music, improv, comedy. Nora Jones called him a genius. And really, are you going to argue with Nora Jones? I don't know. You can find that episode right now in your podcast feed. I'm Talia Schlinger, sitting in for Tom Power. See you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.